0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Good
1: morning, Village. My name is Kate, and I will be reading this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence, with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy, compl- my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them
0: Very great. All right, and welcome. oh, I'm going to take off my mask. Welcome to the village church, everyone. It's so glad to be with you. Um, it's uh, March 14th, 2021, and uh, this is not a recording. this is live. Uh, I haven't taken off my mask like this in front of people in a long time, feeling a little bit nervous. But anyways, if you're not following, if you haven't received an email from us, and you don't know what's going on. Uh, Just to sum things up, starting from today over the next several months, uh, the plan is that we're going to be gradually introducing live elements into our services uh, here and there. We might not do it every week. I think we'll just make the call a week of and see what we do. We might have a live preacher. We might have a live announcements person, a live prayer person. We'll just try it out, and uh, we'll keep doing it, and uh, we'll continue to follow Baltimore City guidelines as we do it. Right now, that means our building is at 25% capacity. We'll continue to wear masks with the exception of someone on the stage, only when that person is on the stage. And, uh, you know, if things change week by week, we'll make the call, but we feel uh, safe and confident enough to uh, carefully move in this direction for the time being. And then at a certain point, uh, depending on, you know, a variety of public health factors, we may consider doing a full service live. Uh, But there's no set date for that yet. Um, it's a bit symbolic today that we're doing this because it's almost exactly a year since we moved our services online. That was March 15th, 2020, and it's been a long year. Uh, maybe it's been a long winter as well for many of us. It, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to believe that just a few days ago the weather hit the 70s. It almost feels like a dream, but that's what's going on. Um, I want to just briefly address a few groups, uh, whether in person or online, that you may be experiencing uh, different things. You know, maybe you're here and you're experiencing excitement. Uh, You just can't, you've been waiting long enough for this year to be over. And this past year wasn't a great year to to say the least, and you're excited to get it over with. You're excited for things to go back to normal. Maybe you've been having that phrase going on in your mind, I'm excited for things to go back to normal. Um, I want to make sure we have proper expectations. Uh, The reality is, for many of us, things will not 100% go back to normal uh, because so much has changed, and it's not like... We can just brush everything under the rug. Our lives have changed, our church has changed, our our society has changed, our country. A lot of things have changed and uh, things won't go back to normal. Sometimes we have this mentality or this framework where like a a year ago we just put life on pause, we all did our own things, and then now uh, at a certain day we're going to hit play again and things will go back to normal, but it's not going to be like that. You know our church for one isn't the same. A lot of folks used to attend our church no longer do, and a lot of folks who used to not attend our church now do, so our demographics are a little bit different, for one, but also many of us have changed individually. Um, It's kind of like, you know, when you go off to college, uh, for those of you who have this experience, if you go off to college for a year and you come back that summer, people meet you again. They go, oh, you've changed, right? "You, you, You use this sort of terminology now, or you have these sort of hobbies now, or you used to be interested in this, and now you're not anymore, or or whatever, fill in the blank. It's kind of like we all went to college for a year, you know, the college of the pandemic for a year. And then now we're all sort of coming out of the woodwork again and we're meeting each other again and we go, oh, you're a little bit different. And I think that's okay. That's okay to recognize, right? Um, but it's not just that. I think we'll have to learn how to be in a church once again, in a, in a physical church building once again, I mean. Uh, we'll have to learn how to socialize again, how to sing together again. Many of us to be honest, we haven't sang, you know, and we just, you know, we just quietly watch and we don't sing in Sunday services. And some of us, we sort of got into the habit when we're watching online, we just, we check our phones a lot and we sort of tune in and out or doing chores at the same time. And so we'll have to learn how to, how to be engaged collectively in a church service again, and that might take some time. So be patient, keep holding on, things won't be 100% the same, but there will be uh, some familiar aspects, which is appropriate, of course, to be excited about um, Maybe others of you, you're not feeling excited about us gathering together uh, because for whatever reason, you're not able to gather together with other folks. And so sometimes, so maybe you even feel a little bit disappointed because you see other people experiencing uh, people, you know, gathering together or or in the next few months gathering together and you feel left out. Uh, Maybe you are tuning in online right now and uh, maybe you're not living in Baltimore or maybe you are sick, or maybe you're taking care of someone who's immunocompromised, or maybe you just have certain convictions and you're not willing to step foot into a building like this at this time. And whatever the reason, um, maybe you're not excited about the church opening up again because it means a lot of folks will be experiencing things and you will be missing out on a lot of things. You know, if that's you, I want you to know that we uh, see you, we recognize you, we value you, and we think that uh, you're a vital part of this church, and we will do our best to try to include you, involve you in everything that we do. So I'll also ask you to keep being patient, keep holding on, and just know that the total final gathering of our church, where everyone is finally together, won't ever happen here on earth, but one day in the kingdom of heaven, right? So keep holding on to that. Um, Two quick things before we jump into the sermon. All right, Uh, I want to give two announcements. First off, our church is hosting a March Madness bracket challenge. Um, So. If you're not familiar, March Madness is this NCAA basketball thing, okay? You don't need to worry about it if you have no idea what that is. But Bracket's open tonight at 8 p.m., and they close Friday at noon. And so our church is hosting a, a church-wide ESPN Bracket Challenge. If you want to participate, you know, just for fun, if you have no clue, it's okay. You can just guess and see how, you, how well you do. You just basically guess what teams will win, or if you have a good idea of what's going on, you just strategically pick who's going to win throughout the whole tournament And then uh, you can go to villagehamden.com slash bracket to do that. You just create a name, name your bracket so we know who you are, identify yourself. And then whoever wins will get a $100 gift card to a Hamden restaurant of their choice. So that's a great incentive to participate. And I also want to add this. If you uh, know people who don't attend our church, but maybe they like basketball or maybe they like receiving free things, Okay, you can invite them to participate too. This isn't just a church thing. Um, You don't have to be religious or anything to attend. So you can invite them to participate as well. It can be a great way to reach out to some folks during this time too. All right, so go ahead and do that. Starting today at 8 p.m., all right, that's the plan, is when it opens. If you go there now, you won't be able to fill out a bracket, all right, because I tried and it didn't work. Secondly, in talking to the guys, um, we're going to be having a men's fire pit this upcoming Saturday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at St. Moses Church. St. Moses Church is located in East Charles Village, um, kind of close to the Waverly Farmer's Market, and uh, they have a backyard space, and it's really nice. They have a a gas fire pit and um, some string lights and things like that, and so we'll bring a video projector, um, and maybe we'll uh, watch some basketball or something like that. It'll be a great time for us to hang out, so if you're a guy... um, Check that out this upcoming Saturday, 7 p.m. It's a great opportunity to meet some people. Um, Today, we are in John 17. John 17, we've been going through the book of John uh, since last fall. And uh, we're about three-fourths of the way through the book. And John 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, actually. It is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And specifically, Jesus is praying for us. The church. And the reason why I love it is because this prayer makes it clear that uh, he has these desires for the church. And, and, and this prayer shows us what his desires are for the church, right? It, it's like a picture, a, an image, a, an ideal for what the church is supposed to be. Um, there are a lot of great golden nuggets we can mine from this chapter. But I just want to focus on specifically what Jesus wants for the church. What Jesus wants for the church. There are three prayers in particular in this chapter that Jesus prays for our church that I think summarize the whole prayer, and I think that we can latch on today. And these three things that he prays, they apply to the whole church, past, present, future, pandemic churches, non-pandemic churches, all sorts of churches. And I think it's appropriate for us to uh, learn from what he wants for the church. So those are the three points of our sermon today. Uh, what does Jesus want for our church? The first thing he prays for is protection. He prays for our protection. I'm going to reread John 17, through 15. Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Talking about us, the church, are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name. There's that word protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. That's referring to Judas Iscariot. We talked about this guy a few weeks ago. Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you, here's that word again, protect them from the evil one. All right, so Jesus is saying that while he was on earth, he was protecting his church. That was one of his duties, right? He talked about how he's a good shepherd and he, he protects his sheep and things like that. But now he was about to leave and ascend to heaven and he's saying, Father, may you protect the church, well, what sort of protection is this? You know, what what is the Father protecting us from? Is it protection from suffering or protection from trials, protection from disaster? What is it? Well, Jesus makes it clear in verse 15, he says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So he's not protecting us in the sense that we are to be an isolated community or that we are to just huddle up and be in a Christian bubble because we're not supposed to be taken out of the world, but he is protecting us from the evil one. Jesus is not asking us to be protected from the sins and struggles and decay of the world, but he's acting asking us to be protected from the evil one. Um, sometimes when we pray for God for protection, we primarily focus on uh, being protected by uh, from negative circumstances, right? You know, uh, I'm going on a road trip, so... God, I pray that you protect me, give me safe travels, protect us from a car accident or something like that. Or for example, there's something wrong with my body. I'm going to go to the hospital. God, please protect me. Uh, Please give me a positive diagnosis, protect my body from sickness. And those are great prayers, of course. There's nothing wrong with those sort of prayers. And sometimes God loves to give good gifts to his children and answer our prayers. However, Jesus' priority here isn't those kind of prayers. Those prayers are good, but Jesus isn't talking about those kind of prayers. He's talking not about being protected from negative circumstances, but being protected from the evil one. And the evil one, of course, refers to the devil or Satan. And sometimes, when we think about Satan, uh, sometimes we think of about this corny little guy who just does little silly things to trip us up. You know, he gives us burnt toast, or he gives us you know untied shoelaces, or flat tires, and things like that. And untied shoelaces literally trip us up, but whether they are physically tripping us up or metaphorically tripping us up, we just think of the devil doing stuff like that to our lives, and sometimes, maybe he does, but I think primarily that's not the devil's main strategy to attack us, right? The devil's main strategy is not to cause things to happen to you, but to cause things to happen inside of you. The devil's main strategy is not to cause things to happen to you, but to cause things to happen inside of you. His main strategy is His main strategy is not to change your circumstances, but to change your heart. He wants for your heart to be corrupt, to be calloused, to be lazy, to be proud. That's how he trips you up. His main strategy, another way to put it, is to not have sin committed against you, but to have you commit sin. Um, So when Jesus is praying for our protection, I think he's focusing on that sort of protection, primarily. He's not praying that God would take away all bad things in our lives, but he's asking that God will give us the resolve, the strength, the perseverance to resist the temptations of the devil so that we wouldn't fall into sin. Some of us are in states of spiritual decay, spiritual um, disarray, spiritual turmoil, spiritual defeat even, and uh, maybe over the past year, you know, we all interact with the pandemic differently. Some of us thrive in times of, difficulty some of us we just take a huge hit in times of difficulty and maybe some of us were there um the pandemic has not treated us spiritually very well and we haven't responded very well and for a variety of reasons maybe we have lacked passion or we've lacked resolve lacked intentionality and we've gotten to a point where we barely try anymore in short the devil is doing a pretty good job at beating us up this past year maybe you don't even know where your bible is because you haven't spent you haven't even read it in a long time right I want to let you know that Jesus prayed for your protection from the evil one. And uh, not only that, but in Hebrews it talks about how Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding um, for us on our behalf. And so Jesus, he's been praying for us this whole time from 2,000 years ago up until now. He's been interceding for us. He's praying for your protection. And Jesus, his prayers are not meaningless, right? Um, James talks about how The prayer of a righteous man is powerful, and Jesus, he's a righteous man, so his prayers are powerful, and his prayers have effectiveness, and uh, so I want you to know that Jesus is praying for you, past and present, he's praying for you. Um, So no matter what you went through the past year, no matter what you went through this morning, Jesus is fighting for you, and so hold on to that, remember that, he's praying for your protection from the evil one. Even when you are too weak to pray for yourself, Jesus is praying for you, all right, so That's the first thing Jesus prayed for, our protection. The second prayer in this chapter, John 17, that He's praying for is our sanctification. Our sanctification and sanctification um, comes; uh, it, it means to the process of being set apart or to be made holy. That's what to, to sanctify means, and Jesus is praying for us in that regard as well. He mentions this in a few places, in verse 16 through 19. I'm going to read this. He writes, i oh, sorry." He reads, uh, he prays, "They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." Here's that word, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So now there are two seemingly contradictory things I want to go over because um, in verse 17 and verse 18, there are these two notions that I think uh, if you hold them in tension, it's beautiful. But if you only hold one or the other, things fall apart, okay? I'll explain what it means, okay? Verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, okay? So Jesus says we are to be set apart, right? That's what it means to be sanctified, set apart by the truth, and he clarifies what well, that means, your word is truth. So God's words to us set us apart. In other words, when we experience who God is, and we read the Bible, we learn about who he is, and learn about uh, his character and his value system, then that changes us, that shapes us, that molds us so that we, are, we become different. And as a result, we are separated from who we were and from the rest of the world that hasn't experienced that change. And so we are set apart, right? We're different from who we were before. Are, are the things we start believing, the, the, the lives we start living, make us distinct from the rest of the world. But then there's a second part, verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So even though we're supposed to be set apart from the world, in another sense, we are to be sent into the world, right? Do you see this tension? On the one hand, we need to be set apart from the world. There's this distinctiveness, this difference. But on the other hand, we need to be sent into the world. There's this immersion. There's this rubbing shoulder-to-shoulder sort of business into the world. So here's the thing, okay? Um, Some Christians are really good at only doing one and not the other. Some Christians are really good at being set apart from the world, But not being very good at being sent into the world. They're very good at being set apart from the world, but not good at being sent into the world. And what that might look like is they uh, spend all the time in these Christian bubbles and they immerse themselves in Christian radio, Christian books, and Christian podcasts, Christian conferences, Christian communities. Everything that's Christian, they're in it. And that's it. That's it, period. They never interact with anybody else. So they're very good at being set apart, being in this Christian community but they're not being sent into the world, right? On the other hand, you have some Christians who are really good at being sent into the world and not very good at being set apart from the world. I mean, they live just like the rest of the world. They immerse themselves into the rest of the world and pick up worldly, uh, they're into worldly politics and worldly culture and worldly media, worldly pursuits, and there's no set-apartness at all. There's no distinctiveness at all. It's exactly the same. You can take this person, and take any random person in the world, they look almost identical, Right? And so what we need as Christians, what Jesus is praying for, is we need to have both lifestyles simultaneously. We need to be both set apart from the world to have this sanctified by the truth sort of distinctiveness, but also to be sent into the world to have this living shoulder-to-shoulder sort of immersion. And that's what Jesus is praying for. We need to be both distinct and at the same time involved and engaged. Um, I want to encourage you to ask yourself uh, which one of these extremes are you more inclined to adopt? Are you more inclined to be set apart from the world and not sent into it or to be sent into the world and not set apart from it? We often have one of those extremes in our own lives, and I think neither extreme is healthy. Um, I think both is a bad witness to the world about the gospel, right? So I encourage you to think about your life and whether your life lines up with this dual reality that Jesus prays for the church. So that's number two. Jesus prays for our protection, number one. And then Jesus prays for our sanctification, number two. One more. And I want to camp out here for a little bit longer. Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus prays for our unity. He says, I pray not only for these, talking about his disciples right there with him in the garden, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And that's us everyone else, who's a recipient of the gospel through the work of his followers, right? And here's what he prays. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus prays that the church would be one. And catch this, not just one in any sense, just as the Father and the Son are one. That is a bold prayer because there's no greater unity in the whole world than the relationship between the Father and the Son. Right? God the Father, God the Son, they love each other dynamically and fully. It's beautiful, it's glorious. And that is the picture of unity that Jesus prays for our church. This unity is characterized in a number of different ways throughout the Bible, but even in this chapter we see a few things uh, that Jesus prays in regards to his relationship with the Father. For example, in verse 1, John 17, 1, Jesus prays, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. I love that. There's this mutual glory giving, right? And I think we are in the church, we in the church are supposed to do that to one another as well. We are to be committed to glorifying one, or, one another, to bring one another honor, to lifting one another up, right? Here's another example. In verse 10, Jesus says, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. There's this mutual sharing and generosity and giving toward one another. And I think that should describe our church too, right? We need to be having this mentality of everything I have is one another's, right? And everything that we all have is ours as well. So that's this picture of this intimate unity that the the Father and the Son have, and therefore we should have with one another in the church. Um, You know, the world loves unity, loves the idea of unity, the concept of unity, Um, And for thousands of years, people have sought to uh, bring about unity in a variety of ways. However, human attempts at achieving unity on their own without the help of God have always failed. Ever since the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, all of our attempts at achieving unity without the help of God have ultimately failed. We've experienced some successes here and there, of course, throughout history. But they've never been able to stand the test of time. Because unity built without the foundation of God is always bound to fail. It's only the unity that's built on Jesus' prayer of unity that is rooted in this Trinitarian relationship between God the Father and God the Son. That's the only unity that can stand. And that is the unity of the church. Whether it's because of class struggle or racial segregation or political polarization, we have never been able to achieve true unity. But the church is to be the exception to the rule. Jesus says the church is, supp- is supposed to be the ideal of unity. And why? Verse 21, I'm going to read this again. Jesus says, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe you sent me. So that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, our unity is not just for unity's sake. It's not just so we could have warm, uh, warm feelings. Our unity is the evidence to the world that our gospel is true. Our unity is the evidence to the world that our gospel is true. In other words, the distinguishing characteristic of the church, there are a few distinguishing characteristics of the church, but one of the main distinguishing characteristics of the church is unity. That should be one of the main things that sets the church apart from every other institution, every other organization in the world. It's the one thing that makes people on the outside go, this whole, this whole time, my whole life, I've been looking for unity. I thought politics could do it. I thought education could do it. I thought science could do it. I thought family. I thought marriage. I thought all these things could do it. They all let me down, but the church has what I want. That's exactly the unity that I'm looking for. Sometimes, you know, when we think about um, the church being a witness to the world, we don't really think about unity. We think often about gospel proclamation right? Gospel proclamation, maybe you've heard that phrase, it just means to proclaim the gospel, to verbally declare the gospel. And we say that's how you be a witness to the world. You declare the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection on our behalf, how we've been saved from our sins, we've been born again, and now uh, if you trust in him, you have eternal life. And that is gospel declaration, and that's great. Obviously, we want to do that. I definitely affirm that. If you don't do that, I encourage you to do that. However, we often lose sight of another kind of being witness to the world, which is gospel demonstration. Gospel demonstration. Demonstrating the gospel, meaning the gospel has impacted your life, impacting your relationships, impacted your heart, and now you live differently as a result, and you can demonstrate the reality of the gospel in your life. That's called gospel demonstration. So it's not so much saying things, but it's living things. Because that is one of the ways that we are also a witness, we demonstrate the gospel in our lives so that when the world sees us, they see this alternative community in the midst of, in the middle of the world, right? Because we're not isolated. We're living in the world. They see this alternative community, this alternative way of doing things. And they go, oh, this has love. This has unity. This has joy. That's exactly what I want. This is everything that humanity was supposed to be. How do I sign up? That is a way we also become a witness to the world. You see, the church does not just contain God's message to the world. The church is God's message to the world. Or another way to put it, the church does not just have a story to tell. The church is the story being told. This, I'll say that again. The church does not just have a story to tell. The church is the story being told. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3.3, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he uses this interesting phrase. He says, you show that you are Christ's letter. You are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Maybe you've heard uh, this before, that the Bible is God's letter to the world. That's true. I would say that's true. God wrote the Bible. He delivered it to the world. We read it. It's like we are receiving a letter from God. But there's another letter to the world in Paul hints at that in 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, and that is the church. The church is also God's letter to the world. This, this letter is not written on stone, or now in our days, printed on sheets of paper in a book. This letter is written on us. So that when the world receives this letter, they're not reading a book, they're looking at our lives. They look at how we live. And they see who God is, what God values by looking at us. I encourage you to ask yourself, if it is true that this church, if our lives in the church are like a letter from God, then when people see you, what are they reading? What are they reading? What is their impression of God from looking at you, the letter from God? Do they think of a God who is lazy or do they think of a God who is angry? Do they think of a God who is stingy? Or when they look at your lives, when they read this letter from God, do they think of a God who is loving, who is passionate, who is generous. The church has always been defined by two things, what we believe and how we live, right? Those are the two things that should set us apart from the rest of the world. What we believe and how we live. Those are the two things that I think Jesus constantly has taught. We need to believe alternative things. We need to live alternative ways. However... And this is—I'm just generalizing, speaking in broad strokes—in the grand scheme of history, especially uh, modern Western history, somewhere along the wa- uh, somewhere along the way, we've held on to the what we believe component, but we've lost sight of the how we live component. To many, all that matters is what we believe. And again, I want to—I want to affirm what we believe is really important. Okay, I think we need to get that down. Some churches. They don't do a very good job of that, so we need to make sure we have that. But for many of us, speaking in general, broad strokes, many of us in the church, we've held on to the what we believe component, and we've lost sight of the how we live component. We say, believe this, and don't believe that, and read this, and don't read that, and listen to this passage, and don't listen to this passage. We, all we're consumed about, when we think about the Christian life, all we're consumed about is drawing theological boundaries. Right? This is what's appropriate to believe. This is not what's appropriate to believe. Even if we have zero life change. Even if we have zero life change, we can say, here's some questions. Do you know how to say yes at the right times? And do you know how to say no at the right times? If you can say yes at the right times when we ask you certain questions, and we say you can say no at the right times when we ask you certain questions, even if if you have zero life change, then you're good to go. You're solid. You're a solid Christian, a solid Bible-believing Christian. But meanwhile, we're living in a postmodern world where many people don't care about what we believe. They care about how we live. When people on the outside look at Christians, oftentimes, they're not asking, do I want to believe the things they believe? They're asking, do I want to live the way they live? And if 100% of our emphasis is on what we believe, and 0% of our emphasis is on how we live, then the answer to the non-Christian is, no, I don't want that. I don't care what they believe. I just know I don't want to live the way they live, right? The Epistle to Diognetus was a second-century letter, and in one section, the author is describing some of the characteristics of the church, and I think this is a beautiful description of what the church should be like. Um, It's a little bit long, bear with me, but I think it's solid, so I'll just dive right in. For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country, nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. Meaning, uh, we're not any different, any different from anybody else in the sense of being isolated. We have our own language or city or things like that. We're, we're being sent into the world. We're not totally in this Christian bubble, right? But inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined... And following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. I mean, we do things like the rest of the world does. We dress like them. You know, we eat food like them. We maybe play board games like them, whatever, fill in the blank. They display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. But there is something different. Okay, what's different? Let's keep going. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. There is the strange detachment from earthly things, right? They're like foreigners and sojourners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. And they love those who are on the outside, those who might not identify with their cultural values, okay? Their Or political or geographical values, okay? They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Okay, back then, obviously no one now, I can't say no one. Very few people today destroy their offspring, okay? But back then, that was a thing that people often did, okay? They have a common table, but not a common bed. That is a great line. I love that. Okay, we want to have a common table, not a common bed. I encourage that. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. We are walking contradictions. That's what we are. We live such lives that we confuse the heck out of every... we, We just confuse the heck of everybody else. And they want to love us, but they don't understand us, and so sometimes there's persecution, but we make the world a better place, and we give people the option to join us if they feel compelled to do so. That's who we're supposed to be. Though we are all different from one another, we choose to be united to one another. We cross these cultural boundaries to be so committed to each other that we demonstrate the unity of the Trinity. We live not in isolation, but we live in the midst of everyone else so that everyone can see us and how we live. They see how we study, how we work, how we get married, how we raise our kids, how we volunteer, how we give. That is our witness to the world. Village Church, I encourage you to take this calling, to take this calling and apply it to your life. This prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden moments before he was about to die on the cross and that he is still praying even now, in heaven, interceding at the right hand of the Father, that is my prayer for the church as well. And I hope that is your prayer for the church as well. Let us pray that the church, that our church, would be marked by protection, by sanctification, and by unity. Because that is the way the world may believe. May we all be one so that the world may believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus praise for us so that even when we fail, even when we fall down, even when we make mistakes, whether they are small mistakes or colossal mistakes, we can still come back to Jesus' prayer and know that at the end of the day, things will work out and we can get back on our feet because Jesus is picking us up and he's setting us right on this path so that we can keep marching forward. We thank you that our salvation our, our protection, our sanctification, our unity is not dependent on our efforts, but it's dependent on who Jesus is and what he did for us. We thank you that our protection, it doesn't come from us protecting one another, but it comes from Jesus protecting us. Our sanctification is not, it doesn't stem from us trying hard to be holy and being set apart, but it's from the fact that Jesus has bought us and cleansed us and set us apart. And we think that our unity is not because we are great at singing kumbaya and great at holding each other's hands and great at overlooking our differences and brushing things under the rug, but it's because Jesus has chosen to unify himself with us. And that when he came to this earth and he took on flesh and dwelt among us, that was the picture, that was the ideal he extended to us our church, so that we can do the same for one another. We can practice this incarnational being one flesh with one another. We thank you that Jesus started it all for us, and we thank you that Jesus will finish it all for us. No. So regardless of what we're experiencing now, regardless of who we were this morning, God, may you remind us with your spirit, may you prompt us with your spirit of the calling, the great calling of the church, that we would live the way you want us to live. Right now, during this pandemic, there are so many things we're unable to do. There's so many barriers in front of us, so many obstacles. But may you give us the wisdom. May you give us the strategy. May you give us the power to live the way you're calling us to live. In Jesus' name, thank you for the, what you've given to the church. May we, be, may we be the church, the church that Jesus prayed for. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.